to the brand new Out of Bounds podcast brought to you by Up News Magazine. My name is Ben. I'm Catherine. And I'm Aiden. Uh, thank you so much for joining us for this brand new uh, podcast, which talks about any and all sports topics. Uh, today's episode is going to talk about expansion and relocation um, for sports teams. Um, I'm going to go first with something I initially researched and then quickly realized I can't talk about this, but I'm still going to talk about it a little bit. Um, I initially started doing this like wild research on should the NFL have a London team? Because that's been like Roger Goodell's baby child for the past like decade essentially, <laughs> ever since he took um, office. I'm making him sound like the president of the U.S. But ever since he became the commissioner of the NFL, He's been really, really trying to push um, a team in London. And for many, many different reasons, people are like, Mr. Goodell, this doesn't make sense. One, mathematically, there are 32 teams in the NFL. There are eight divisions. Simple math, 32 divided by eight is a very nice number. Every division gets four. So if you put in 33 teams, it, it makes things like, okay, what are divided by four. Okay, so we're going to have to split a team in half. Half the players will play in London. Half the players will play in Jacksonville. That's the only way that works with 33 teams. Um, but otherwise, like travel costs didn't make, don't make sense. Um, just fairness of play. Like um, people were concerned about the idea of a team having to play London and being based in uh, California right, because that's a lot more travel time. Hotel accommodations are a big thing um, that people are concerned about. Is there the infrastructure to support uh, hundreds of people now having to show up on a weekly basis uh, or a bi-weekly basis? Um, aside from the fact is people in England maybe don't want a team care. And, and it's a little bit of a novelty act um, that it's kind of like Josh Groban came to Green Bay, which is where I'm from, and people went batshit crazy for it. And it's because Josh Groban doesn't show up. And I realized I said Josh Groban, and I'm hearing myself say it out loud. It wasn't Josh Groban. It was Phil Collins. <laughs> I was about to say, I was like, Josh Groban? It was Phil Collins and also Paul McCartney at various points came to Green Bay and played at Lambeau Field, and it sold out. Well, that's uh, worth getting excited over, though. I mean, wait, in the Paul air tonight's McCartney a banger. Or, both. Or Phil Collins. I'd say both of them, honestly. <laughs> Legends right there. I mean, like, I'd be excited about Josh Groban, I guess, but you have other options. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's essentially people in England don't... They're not going to switch their loyalties to a brand new team. A lot of people in England already have a team in America that they root for, um, whether through family ties or because they've latched onto a team already. Um, and let's face it, football is not going to replace the other football in <laughs> England. And I realize I made a lot of people upset simply by saying that, and I apologize, but you can't be, you can take the Korean out of. Korea, but you can't take the American out of America, I guess is what I'm saying. I, I guess I'm thoroughly Americanized. <laughs> so essentially what I'm trying to say is 
this is a, this discussion that I didn't want to have that I'm having anyway. It led me to researching, well, why can't we have a team in London? And it went to, why do people, why do teams leave their city anyway? Like, what would be an impetus for a team to leave? And so I went back to the very, very, very long historical archives all the way back to 2017 <laughs> and the San Diego Chargers and the San Diego and the uh, previously mentioned San Diego, previously named San Diego Chargers, who are now the LA Chargers, who maybe if you're listening to this in 2039, may be back to being the San Diego Chargers because their lease in LA runs out in 2039. And much like my uh, landlord told me when I tried to move out of Chicago, you cannot break your lease because I could sue you. Um, but if you pay me before you move, then we're good. So that's kind of <laughs> how things work, apparently. So back in 2017, I, it was actually this really fascinating history that I'm not from San Diego. I don't have really any ties to California. It was really fascinating to me when San Diego left. And I never really researched why they left other than to feel upset like the rest of football fans and be like, why are you leaving? You belong in San Diego. Um, they, they were there for 59 years from 67 to 2017. So it was kind of like this um, uh, 50, I'm sorry, I misspoke, 59 to 2017. And they were kind of much like the Green Bay Packers are. Um, much like the Baltimore Ravens are at this point, they have relatively small markets, but extremely loyal fan bases. And so they arguably mean more to their to their city than say a New York or a Chicago team does when it comes to the loyalty aspect because of the percentage of people in that city who give a, care about their team. And to make things staff, and easy for everyone, it all comes down to money and the politics of stadium building. You see, what happened was that the San Diego Chargers back in the 60s built what was what's called Qualcomm Stadium. And from the time they were they were incarnated to the time they left San Diego, they never, ever, ever had a different stadium. And they never really upgraded the stadium. And so in the 2010s, during this time where the Chargers are actually pretty decent. I mean, they they had Philip Rivers, they had LT, they had Antonio Gates and Eric Riddle, and they were a solid team. They were a team that everyone kind of expected to at least compete for the division title year after year, um, even if they had a couple down seasons, like 9-7 and seven in 2014, 4-12 and 12 in 2015, 5-11 in 2016. There was still a lot of hope in San Diego. Like the hope was there. They drafted Joey Boza. They, um, in the third overall pick, and he won Defensive Rookie of the Year in 2016. But what started happening was that fans stopped going to the game in droves, and the reason was that people lost faith that they were going to stay in San Diego. The owner of the team, uh, who has a black mark on his name, Mister. Um, why can't I remember? Dean Spanos, his whole net worth was tied to the San Diego Chargers. He couldn't pull a, um, 
the owner of the Miami Dolphins, Stephen Ross, who had built his whole fortune off of real estate. And so when the Miami Dolphins needed a new stadium, a hard rock stadium, he just said, I'm just going to pay out of pocket to keep my team in Miami. And Dean Spanos wasn't willing to do that. So he pretty much tried to blackmail the city of San Diego to be like, hey, instead of paying for infrastructure, instead of paying for homeless shelters, instead of paying for affordable housing, instead of paying for good education, put all of your billions of dollars into the stadium and use all the taxpayer money for the stadium because I'm not willing to pay the money for it. By far and large, this is unpopular. The city declined and the fans were like, we're, we love our team. Why can't you just pay for it? Dean Spanos essentially spent a good like five years essentially doing this propaganda campaign to turn fans against the city of San Diego to make it seem like it was the city's fault that they weren't getting their brand new stadium. It eventually led to 2017 where he put in a bill proposal in the city that asked them to raise hotel taxes by over a billion dollars to fund the stadium. This, of course, did not pass. And no one expected it to pass. <laughs> but because it did not pass, Dean Spanos did now had ammunition to say, well, looks like nobody wants me here. Nobody wants, I'm sorry, I misspoke. Nobody wants the team here. And so then he ended up working out a deal with the Los Angeles Rams to basically pretty much lease their stadium their brand new stadium and play there. I guess what this all is a lesson about uh, for non-sports fans and sports fans alike is if a team moves, it's really capitalism. That's all it is. That's all there is <laughs> to it. It's yeah. an owner who probably really, really attached to his money and I'm using his for a very purposeful reason there um, and does not want to pay pay up to keep a loyal fan base loyal. The kind of really fun fact that I that I found to lighten the mood, I think was really ironic about this whole thing is that with the hotel taxes um, and trying to use that as the last straw to move the team out, uh, it's ironic because the original owner of the San Diego Chargers was none other than William Baron Hilton grandfather of Paris Hilton, who you might recognize as the hotel chain that you stayed in. And as a fun urban legend goes, the reason they're called the Chargers is that Mr. William Hilton wanted to remind people to use his brand new credit card, Carte Blanche, which today is one of the most high-end credit cards out there there are. Um, and I actually found some ads from the 60s in magazines that promote credit card and my favorite slogan is a dude on a telephone smoking a cigarette with a very shiny ring on his pinky saying the profile of a card carrying capitalist <laughs> now if that doesn't speak to the greed that goes into the business of team ownership and teams in relocating cities i don't know what does uh and that's thank you and that's all i have for the nfl I feel like now I'm questioning every team that moved. Like I'm, I'm like thinking back and I'm like, what was the real reason? And it's probably, <laughs> you're right. Like it's probably financial. Could we, so I have a question. Yeah. Could we look at the situation 
and look at like the Oakland Raiders who are now the Las Vegas Raiders, which like, fun fact, I'm from the Bay Area. It was like a big deal, you know, like we had the 49ers. Some people were like from the town and were like hard Oakland Raiders fans. It was kind of like a rivalry, you know, like how the A's and the Giants. And so when they moved, like it was like, it was a big deal. Is that situation kind of similar to, to what happened in San Diego? Um, yeah, I would say so because Oakland is also a diehard city for fan base. I guess what the difference is, again, that it all comes down to the owner and whether the owner is going to be willing to fork over the money himself um, yeah. and work out a deal. It helps that the Oakland Raiders have such a huge, like, history. And yeah. I'm not saying that San Diego doesn't, but I'm saying that, like, for me, when I think of Oakland Raiders, I, I think of um, John Gruden being there right now. But I also think about um, the, the, like the history, the, the rivalry with being the 49ers being one of the biggest rivalries in the sport. And so it, mm-hmm. does, it does feel very weird to me still that Oakland's not in Oakland. So. Yeah, it's super strange. I was in like a Las Vegas, I was in their airport recently which it's terrible, by the way. I don't know if you guys have been there. It's just like you're you're walking into like a casino. There's just they have like, slots. They got slots yeah. right near the gates. Yeah, it's oh, really? so bizarre. Yeah, people are just like drinking mm-hmm. and like playing slot machines and like waiting for their flight. It is truly bizarre. See, I like it because it's like, it's being honest. You don't go yeah, out there and there's true. like an art gallery. You go out there, it's like, okay, I'm in Vegas now. Like it, yeah. I, I kind of vibe with it personally. That's off topic, but that's the same. Yeah, honestly, respect. They know who they are, and they knew they know who their audience is. But like, I kept seeing like Las Vegas Raiders stuff, and I was still, I was like, whoa, like I'm still so taken aback. But I think that's just because I spent my childhood, like, with people being like Oakland Raiders fans. My family's like a 49ers fan, so like, you know, like Raiders, whatever. But like it's it's strange, and to have to like as a fan kind of have to shift your fan base. Like I wonder how many people stayed like San Diego fans, and how many people were like, well, they're you know they moved. I was actually gonna bring up the Raiders because I I feel like it's so strange that we've had two teams move to LA, and both of them I feel like are outshined by the Raiders. Like when I think of LA football, yeah. I think of the Raiders. Really. Yeah, I think it's because there was that there was that 30 for 30 they did about the Raiders in Los Angeles, and I watched that oh. as a kid, and it kind of just stuck for me, mm-hmm. but I don't know. I just see, like, the Rams and Chargers, and I'm like, I just, I feel like the Raiders should be there. It's just, they're just two teams that I associated so much with the cities they were in, mm-hmm. especially the Rams, because, you know, Kurt Warner and Marshall Falk and all those teams back in the early 2000s, and now they're just both in LA, and it just doesn't feel right. It just feels yeah. so strange to me, so... It just yeah. seems like it's such a weird part of it, to move both yeah. teams. Part of it too is that the Raiders are still a, a, a legacy owner team. You have the Davis family owning them for generations, literally. It just kind of feels like a betrayal. Not like in the Godfather style, it feels like a betrayal against the family to have moved Oakland <laughs> to LA. I mean, to Las Vegas. Yeah. As we're talking about Las Vegas, this is like a good segue because I'm going to be talking about the Las Vegas Golden Knights, who 
are the newest expansion team in the NHL, not for long because there is another expansion team coming in the 2021-2022 season. We'll see. <laughs> the Seattle Kraken, which by the way, pop in name, Seattle Kraken, like that is fantastic. Love the jerseys uh, too. Just a great look. Jerseys are great. Their PR team, shout out to them. This is not about them, but they deserve to have like some props because they've done a great job oh, so far. Oh, 100%. This is about them. I am following the <laughs> Seattle Kraken for their logo and branding. They're so good. <laughs> but that's one of the key things. So my big question was, what makes an expansion team successful? Because usually what happens is there's an expansion team. They have kind of like middling to, eh, you know, average results in the standings. And it takes a really long time for a team to build up momentum and actually, in this case, you know, go to the Stanley Cup finals. Um, the thing with Vegas was, is that they totally just like changed the narrative for expansion teams um, really, really drastically. So they're a perfect example to look at as like we're trying to find what factors contribute to an expansion team being successful in terms of their production. In this case, production on the ice, because we're talking about hockey, but it could be the field, whatever. So in their inaugural season, the Knights finished fifth in the overall standings out of 30 other teams during the regular season. So that's like crazy. Um, and then on top of that, in the postseason, they made it to the finals of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Like, I want to reiterate, that is, that's unprecedented, right? Like that's insane. And like, I definitely can't think of like another sports team in recent years that has like had that kind of success in their first season. Like, I, can you guys? I actually was going to bring this up at the end. You look at expansion teams and they're just all terrible for the most part. Yeah. They're all bad. I mean, the Magic were pretty good in the 90s, but that's mostly because they got Shaq and Penny Hardaway. Uh, the Florida Marlins kind of lucked into winning a World Series, but like most of the time I see an expansion team and it's just like, I can just disregard them for the next five years. They're not going to do anything important until the Golden Knights. That was the first time I was like, wow, they're actually not awful. Like, this is incredible. How did this happen? So, Yeah. And they've retained their success. Like a lot of people, they're not my favorite to win the Stanley Cup. They're not like, I haven't done my bracket yet, but they're up there. You know, people are really betting hard on them. So that, that was my thing for this week. Figure out the formula to a successful expansion team. Um, and in doing so, I found that there's three main factors that a team needs to have in order to have like the kind of electric debut that the Knights had. So the first thing is having a detailed plan for the expansion draft. Basically, an expansion draft is when the incoming team picks certain players off of unprotected lists from existing teams in order to build their roster. So George McPhee, uh, who's currently the president of hockey operations at the Golden Knights, he like essentially hacked the expansion draft. Not literally, although I'm sure there's like some disgruntled fans who'd say that, but like he, he had a plan. He and his team had over a year to scout every potentially available player and put organizational structures in place to draft a team that they thought would work well together. Um, they, and they really did. And so part of McPhee's success with a draft um, besides like great planning is also circumstance. So the rules for the 2017 expansion draft 
were far, far more favorable to the incoming team than they had been in 2000, which had been like before, like that was the previous expansion draft. Um, so McPhee was like able to scout and draft players he normally wouldn't have had access to if the rules had stayed the same because one of the stipulations of the new rules in the expansion draft in 2017 was that teams could protect less players. So that's like the first part of the formula. In order to build a team meant for success, you have to do your homework on potentially available players and you have to have player protection limitations that favor the incoming team. Um, and so if we're looking ahead to the Seattle Kraken, they have that so far. Player protection limitations are the same. The rules for the expansion draft are the same. So they've got that going for them. The next part of the formula is the salary cap. So in hockey, and I'm sure this is true for a lot of other sports leagues, salary caps are a huge part of managing any team because it limits the amount of money a GM can spend on their player salaries. And it's negotiated during the uh, CBA or collective bargaining agreement process. So the salary cap in the NHL was introduced after the 2004-2005 lockout. So it wasn't a factor in 2000 uh, with the Columbus Blue Jackets and the Minnesota Wild. Those were the expansion teams then. So it was the first expansion draft with a salary cap and it proved to function in the favor of the expansion teams. Because of the salary cap, there's a limit to how much money you can spend on your players. If a team is unable to come to an agreement on a contract with a player, or they can't afford to keep a player, and those you know, potentially are players who ordinarily the team would want to keep and wouldn't normally be available, um, there are suddenly options for a new team just as a product of that. So because of the cap, McPhee was able to sign players with short-term contracts so the team wouldn't be stuck with, you know, like a really lengthy, heavy financial commitment down the road, which we've seen other teams struggle under with the cap. And he had players, you know, who were available because of cap issues that he also wouldn't normally have access to. So to recap the formula so far, great expansion draft in a favorable salary cap. The third and final piece of the puzzle has to do with the players themselves. A successful expansion team needs to have big ticket players to be the face of the franchise, and they need to have bounced back and or positive seasons. So typically, like not always, but typically the players who are made available in the expansion draft aren't the top producers, like I'll be honest, right? Like the Edmonton Oilers aren't gonna like make Connor McDavid available and the Pittsburgh Penguins aren't gonna like make Sidney Crosby available, right? Like those are their big producers. So teams have to make sure that the players they are drafting, right? Like there's something there, there's like potential there. Um, for Vegas, their marquee player um, is Marc-Andre Fleury who like side note, one of my favorite players of all time. Like he's awesome. He's a three-time Stanley Cup winning goaltender. Fans loved him. He had a solid career, part of the veteran core, but it was clear that the Pittsburgh Penguins were, they were looking towards their younger goaltenders, um, you know, as the direction they wanted to take the team in. And so Flurry was made available. And it was like, it was a big deal. And I bet you guys can remember this too. Like, and I'm even like a Philadelphia Flyers fan, right? Like 
we got a big rivalry with the Pittsburgh Penguins. And even like I was upset. I was like, seriously? Like you're gonna like you're gonna make Flurry available? Like he'd been there so long, literally with the team since he'd been drafted first overall in 2003. And like fans loved him. Like everyone knows who Marc Andre Flurry is. So that was like a big deal. So anyway, the Knights get Flurry. Big thing. First, it brings a ton of attention and viewership to the team. Because, like, again, like, everyone knows who Marc-Andre Fleury is. But they also banked on Fleury having a bounce-back season, which he did. He posted a .927 save percentage in the regular season, and then a .929 save percentage in the playoffs. Like, that's great. And that was, like, that was a thing. So they had big-ticket player, a lot of viewership, fan participation, great season. And they also had their other big-ticket players, like, James Neal and William Carlson having breakout seasons and Jonathan Marshall. So posting like the best numbers of his NHL career to date in that first season. Like they had all of their big players having really great bounce back seasons. And so part of what allows for the potential of like a bunch of players all at once <laughs> having great seasons with an expansion team format um, is that with the Golden Knights, there was so much like positive excitement around them. People were so hyped to have a team in Las Vegas. Las Vegas is a great environment and city to have a sports team. They have that revenue basis. They have the money to have these teams. Um, and so there was all of that. But with an expansion team, and you know, Aiden brought it up earlier, there's no pressure or expectation. No one expects an expansion team to like be good at first, right? So it gives athletes a space to have bounce back seasons um, because there's no pressure on them to perform well. Um, also, the coaching staff had rolling lines. And the other thing with expansion uh, teams, it's a meritocratic system. So players are all basically on equal footing with each other. And that can also really affect, um, you know, like the environment and the locker room and positive point production. So for the Vegas Golden Knights, like their keys to success were a well-planned expansion draft. The Seattle Kraken have that. A favorable salary cap. The Seattle Kraken also have that. And marquee players having bounce back seasons. We shall see. We don't know. The expansion draft is coming up for the Seattle Kraken. Um, gosh, in July, I think. So I mean, with the Vegas Golden Knights, it's really a big question now what are they going to do, right? Like what normally, like historically, it takes years to nurture a team to the Stanley Cup finals. But Vegas shattered that narrative. And the Seattle Kraken, like, they're taking their notes for their, you know, for their debut in the 2022 season. So now everyone's like, can they replicate that success? And we just don't know yet. Hey fam, Ben here. As you can tell by this new and improved audio quality, I am re-recording over this part because the internet cut out and you cannot hear what I asked Kat. Also, I just want to say apologies for the audio quality of my voice during the episode. Um, that's just the way it goes sometimes when you're learning how to do a podcast and learning all the technical things that go along with making one. Thank you for your patience and understanding. The question I asked Kat was, do you think it's better for an expansion team to be really good and have high expectations when they start, or to have low expectations and build that momentum uh, over time? Thank you.
That's like, that's such a great question. And I feel like it, there's two parts to answer that. The first is like with the Vegas Golden Knights, right? Like they've, they were good out the gate and they've stayed good. They've been good for, you know, up until now and they're great this year. And so I think it gave the team a lot of excitement and kind of solidified that, okay, it's the right choice to expand. And so from a financial basis, and this is kind of like the other half of it, I think it's better for teams to be good right out the gate because they're able to build that financial longevity for the team and bring in that extra money for whatever sports league, in this case, the NHL, because it's, ex- it's expensive to have an expansion team, especially if your expansion team doesn't really take off, um, especially when sometimes, you know, the Vegas Golden Knights were, were an entirely new team, but sometimes expansion teams are a team moving from one place to another. And so when you're kind of trying to um, not necessarily like recoup those losses, but kind of establish that um, you know, long-term economic viability with a team, it really, really helps to have a strong core and a strong team right out the gate. What is gonna be really interesting and why I'm so excited for watching the expansion draft with the Seattle Kraken and like seeing where they go is that again, like with the Vegas Golden Knights, this is not a situation, like normally the question you're asking me, we wouldn't ask that, right? Cause there's no, there's no basis for it. There's no precedent. And now with the Vegas Golden Knights and like the sustained and explosive success that they have had as an expansion team now raises that question. Can, and can the Seattle Kraken replicate it? And we'll see, you know, and maybe for them because there was so much hype with the Vegas Golden Knights and how like electric they have been, maybe it's like harder for the Seattle Kraken and maybe they do have a lot more pressure to perform as well as the Vegas Golden Knights did. So I don't know. Yeah, no, definitely. I think it's, um, I think even to, from, to bring back the charge example of the fact that I think in their first or second year, their goal was to bring in 400 million revenue. And then very quickly on, they had to lower that down to 150 million because they lost so much of their fan base. One, because they were a bad, terrible team in 2017, um, in 2018. But, but two, because they were playing in a stadium that was a soccer stadium that could only set 27,000 instead of their typical like 80, 90,000. And they still couldn't sell out tickets, even mm-hmm. with their 25, 30,000 range. Um, and so it's just kind of, I think, yeah, that, that I think building that brand and then getting that trust does feel really important to a new team or a newly relocated team. Because even then, if you have bad seasons, you still remember, well, they give us good years to begin with, um, yeah. even if they start to fall off a cliff at some point in like the 2030s. <laughs> yeah. And so. I feel like we're looking, you know, again, 2000 before like that had been the most recent expansion draft with the Minnesota wild and the Columbus blue jackets. And I feel like we're still waiting for them to, to get the success, right. Yeah. Columbus blue jackets have been kind of crawling their way up there, but Minnesota wild, I mean, sorry, sorry for any like wild fans here, but we're still waiting for them to have the, to build up that success. And now with yeah. the Vegas Golden Knights, it's that question of, you know, changing that narrative. 
are the Seattle Kraken going to perform like how we had previously expected expansion drafts to perform like the Columbus Blue Jackets and the Minnesota Wild now taking 20 plus years to work their way up or do we expect them to do it in a year when we just yeah it's kind of like playing Stardew Valley for the first time and being a dumbass and wasting all your money on parsnips and then not having enough money to buy a pack back so you can expand your inventory you know sometimes bad decisions early on lead to terrible consequences (laughs) I totally feel you there uh really got to get that backpack it's clutch love Stardew Valley I just, I feel like, to go back to your question, Ben, the Golden Knights, as someone who wasn't really a hockey fan at the time, they actually stuck out a lot to me, and I made that note. One, because they got Flurry, and I knew who he was, and I was like, that doesn't seem right. They're an expansion team. I shouldn't know anyone on this team. And then the other thing was that they were actually good, because as a, as a baseball and basketball fan, it's like, oh, there's an expansion team. They're probably going to get like a young, exciting player, like when the Raptors had McGrady and Vince Carter, and then they just didn't put it together, and, were, and they had Chris Bosh, and then they didn't put it together. And then finally, in 2019, I think, they finally won a, a championship. So you're just used to these teams not being good. And to see one actually be good piqued my interest. I was actually rooting for them in that Stanley Cup. Yeah, as I mean, I don't know, we'll see. And so now the NHL is like banking on the Seattle Kraken, bringing in a lot of um, like new hockey fans too. There's all this hype around expansion teams. Kind of to transition into what I did. um, I really wanted to look at like when a team leaves, what happens and do these places get expansion teams? Now what started that was Obviously, the lost Seattle Sonics, who I'd very much like to see come back. And there's a very large movement of people saying, oh, we need to bring the Sonics back. The Sonics need to come back to Seattle. But then there are also places where that doesn't happen, which is very strange. Like, I found a really interesting article about the Minnesota Wild, which was there are a lot of people who are like, yeah, they're fine. I miss the North Stars, though. They were really cool. And, like, apparently North Stars jerseys sell at a fairly equal rate in Minnesota. Actually, I visited Minnesota and there was a very large selection of North Stars jerseys to get at pretty much any sports store. And the other thing made me think of was growing up in New York and my dad being fairly old, I asked him like, oh, you know, he wasn't around for when this happened, but his siblings were. It's like, you know, when the Dodgers left, what happened? Like what happened to all those fans when the Dodgers went to Los Angeles? And they couldn't be Yankee fans because they were, you know, bitter rivals and they hated each other. So it was about a six-year wait until the Mets showed up, and then they just jumped on the Mets bandwagon. So it seems to me like a lot of these team, these fans don't really follow the team, which I personally understand. You know, if the team's not here and the owners just stab me in the back, why would I want to give them my hard-earned dollar? It just doesn't make any sense to me. But then you have other things like the Browns famously left to become the Ravens and now they're back and they're technically an expansion team, which is weird to think about because the Browns existed and then they didn't exist and then they exist again, but they're still just as big fans. And I mean, the Browns just had a great year. So I really started to just dive into like what happens when a team leaves. And there's been a lot of really weird things that have happened. The Browns one, I think being the most notable that the Browns left to become the Baltimore Ravens. 
They stopped existing. They came back. They were awful for many, many years. But you also have like some very strange things that have happened. Like for example, the Charlotte Hornets, very big team during the 90s. I believe they were an expansion team actually during the late 80s, early 90s, left to become the New Orleans Hornets. And they were also not very good. Then Charlotte got the Bobcats, who I have a soft spot for in my heart because their jerseys were awful and they were really bad. I believe they actually had the worst record in NBA history going eight and 74, I think. Uh, Just a terrible team. So at some point, the Charlotte Bobcats went to the Hornets and were like, hey, we want our name back. And the Hornets were just like, sure, why not? So on the record books now, the Charlotte Hornets, as they're now known, have always existed throughout this whole period of time. The Hornets have always been the Hornets. The Pelicans started existing back when they moved to New Orleans. So the New Orleans Hornets have technically never existed. They have always been the Pelicans. And I just find that so strange because I I didn't know that happened. I figured like, oh, you know, they just changed the names, like whatever, it doesn't really matter. But just to see that like this team was an expansion team and now it's not. And this team wasn't an expansion team and now it is. And I I don't know why I find it so fascinating because it doesn't matter. I mean, both of these teams aren't very good, although now the Pelicans have Zion and Brandon Ingram and LaMelo Ball. So it would probably be very good, probably better than my Knicks, but I just find it so meaningless, yet it happened. And then this, this was my favorite one. And I'm just going to, I'm just going to need everyone's opinions on this. So the Washington senators were a fairly big major league baseball team. They had Walter Johnson, who's, you know, one of the greatest pitchers of all time, especially at the time. And in 1961, they moved, they became the Minnesota twins. But apparently the American League didn't want D.C. to not be in the league. I guess they made them a lot of money or something. So they wanted to keep a team in D.C. So what they did was they gave them an expansion franchise the same year. And they called them the Washington Senators. (laughs) So they were the exact same team. But they aren't. If you look at the Wikipedia page, there's one for Washington Senators 1901 to 1960. And then there's one Washington Senators 1961 until they became the Texas Rangers. So now the Senators became the Rangers. And then years later in 2004, the Montreal Expos, another lost team that I still mourn for, became the Washington Nationals. So essentially the Minnesota Twins existing killed the Montreal Expos. (laughs) I feel like we're getting into conspiracy theories now. Like I feel like we're going down a rabbit hole with you. You know, initially I was just going to talk about like, you know, there's a petition to bring back the Vancouver Grizzlies, but then I was like, how did this happen? How did anyone, (laughs) you know, you could have just put the expansion team in Minnesota and made them the twins and it would have been totally fine. I just don't, I don't understand. I still don't understand. I love how your conclusion is that they killed the Montreal Expos after all that. That's the takeaway. (laughs) I just like... The fact that they called them like the Washington Senators, that's wow. What a power move. That is. That's like somebody was clearly like upset about it. 
They're like, you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna name it the same name. It's it's so incredibly petty. It feels like to name. Oh, it, that's team. so petty. But I guess you know. You, do they at least change their logo and like their colors and their design of their uniforms? Like, I don't know. Do they at least okay. To be fair, I'm... their logo beforehand was just a big W. So, so not super creative. I mean, the Washington Nationals logo now is essentially just a fancy big W. So, yeah, you know, they're I, sticking okay. with that. I will but. say what I do love about Washington teams, and this is a side note, is that they're just variations. Like we have the Washington Capitals for the NHL, Washington Nationals. It's like, really? You couldn't think of anything more creative? To be fair, they, one of my all-time favorite team names was the Washington Bullets, but then they got rid of it. Uh, which oh. was very disappointing. Now they're the Wizards, which is fine. But That's you also fine. have the greatest team name of all time, the Washington football team, which is just, <laughs> I mean, they have to change the name, but it's like yeah. you really couldn't have thought of anything. You have to go <laughs> the whole season calling yourselves the Washington football team. Like, <laughs> we could um, do a whole episode on like why teams are named the way they are. Because there's like, there's some bangers, but there's there's some questionable names. But that's an episode for another day. So apparently the Washington Senators have been the Washington Senators at three different points of their existence. They were a team from 80, from 1891 to 1899, disbanded, returned in 1901, and decided to name themselves yet again the Washington Senators, branding themselves after a franchise that miserably failed during the 90s. So I guess the history of Washington baseball teams are just utter incompetence and I'm not trying to say that's a sign of their location I'm just saying that it's not unconnected right there's I just like Aiden I want to know like how long has like the Washington Senators like this whole thing been keeping you up at night because this would drive a me a fair insane. amount I think it also stems from like I said being someone who misses the Montreal Expos and it's just like why do they not exist I need them to exist just to see that all of the shenanigans has kind of caused that uh, really did hurt a little bit. It, it's just insane. I just can't think of why anyone thought this was a good idea. And now that Ben brought that point up, that they've been the Senators three times, why didn't they do it a fourth time? Why are they called the Washington Nationals? That's not even that good of a name, if I'm being real. It's really the Senators, not. The Senators at least has something... I th- it makes me feel something, maybe not something good, but, you know, more than the Nationals. I don't even know what that means. Like, it's just, what a franchise. So bad, and they killed the Montreal Expos. I'm just still... You're I'm not still letting go of that. I'm still... You know what? You ever see Vlad Guerrero wearing an Expos jersey? He looks so cool. Like, they took that from us. Do you have Wait, an Expos jersey? I don't. I really need one. That's a, that's a goal for me, honestly. Get a Vlad yeah. Guerrero Expos jersey, so... Is it the logo? Is it the players? Like, what is it about Montreal? I know nothing about Montreal Expos. So like, honestly, something that we, we hopefully plan to do an episode on is when I was a kid and I would play backyard baseball on the Game Boy Advance, I would just mm-hmm. always play as the Montreal Expos because their name, probably because their name had an X in it and I thought that was cool. Um, uh, but then it's like, it really jump-started that thing of like, this team didn't exist and people want it back. You know, because there are teams that don't exist. This is the other thing I was going to say. Like, the Buffalo Braves turned into the Clippers. And then there's there's no one in Buffalo yelling about how they don't have a basketball team. 
Like they've moved on. They're good. They don't yeah, need another team. But like people in like the Sonics fans and Expos fans are like deeply sad that their team is gone. Like yeah. one of the best baseball moments of the past five years for me was when Vlad Guerrero's kid, Vlad Guerrero Jr., played an exhibition game at Olympic Stadium in Montreal and hit a walk-off and the crowd was just so emotional because like they saw him as a kid on the field with his dad and now he's here hitting a walk-off and it was just such a beautiful moment and it's like why don't they exist anymore there's clearly so much passion and I I don't know it's just something I'm always going to be like interested in so if they ever come back, I don't know what I'm going to do. There's going to be a big hole in my life. I'm going to have to fill it something, yeah. maybe like knitting or something. I don't know. But. <laughs> but like Montreal is such a big sports market, like not only in like sports media and broadcasting, but just like they're a huge sports market, obviously like Montreal Canadians. Like I don't, I'm surprised that they haven't brought back a baseball team because I think they could probably do pretty well. Yeah. You could kick out the Florida Mar- Marlins. Ever since they traded Christian Yelich, it's kind of like, what's the point of watching them anymore? So, I, that's the the other thing I was actually going to bring up is that you always see these teams leave. Like when the 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 Sonics left, they were always like, bring the Sonics back. But then they were going to do that by bringing the Kings to Seattle, and it's like, does that even feel good? Because you're taking <laughs> someone else's team, and people love the Kings, you know? Like they're not like the Marlins, where I truly do feel like, who cares? <laughs> like same with the Rays. It's like who cares? Well, like I've, I've seen the Rays a lot of times. It's not a big deal. But like people care about the Kings. Like that would suck to see another. Yeah. It would just like you're just like filling a hole and digging another one. Like you're just <laughs> you're creating the cycle. So I don't know. It's just so well, the interesting. Cycle be unbroken. No, it's just <laughs> too much greed. <laughs> as long as we exist in this capitalist society. Before we go, a special thank you to 11AI for the use of their song Blur from their album Q-Type 3. You can download that song and more on Spotify under the name 11AI. And a second thank you to Jay Cheng for the use of her artwork for this podcast. You can find her artwork on her website and Instagram, Jade Cheng. On behalf of Kat and Aiden, thank you so much for listening to our debut podcast, the very first episode of Out of Bounds. Before I let you go, a couple of words of advice. One, don't throw the Lombardi trophy. Two, uh, the refs are always wrong. Done.